Amen. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Johnny. Man, it is good to be here with you guys this week. Um, been so encouraging, even convicting to me. We're talking with a number of you uh, over the last couple of days of just retreating. And um, even with some of the team here at Hume, been, we run camp, you guys run programs and do things at your churches, but the power of retreat, and it doesn't have to be here at Hume, but I want to just say thanks for taking time, whether you were coerced or forced or excited to and signed up for retreating. Um, talking to a number of you last night and today, man, just want to make it a, a habit and a discipline in your lives to get away, to retreat. And um, yeah, I've been encouraging as we've talked to, as a camp director team and just different people here at Hume of being renewed and excited about what we get to do as running camp to provide space for people to retreat. But I hope that you um, do that more than just now. And I honestly been convicted of when do I take time to retreat? We run retreats. You guys run programs at church. When do you take time to get away and not run the program? When do we take time? When do I take time to retreat and do that? Um, I was encouraged as Dallas was even just sharing about Joshua and being reminded, um, inviting your students or people you may know into something that's hard. Uh, with the goal and the hope of being made more like Christ. And I, I hope this week, just you being invited into things that are not easy uh, in the ministry you do, but in the work of the gospel and even in your own life, uh, working out with the Lord. God, what are you doing in my life? So this morning, we're going to do things a little different. As you know, uh, some of you have submitted some questions. So we're going to invite up uh, Corey, Katie, uh, Emily, and Aaron Logan, or Wagon Master Emeritus Chip. You guys can come on up. Uh, we got a number of questions that you guys gave us, so we're going to, oh, if I can separate these stools, we'll see if we can uh, tackle some of those questions and answer some of them or discuss them and see if we don't answer them and leave you more confused uh, than when you started. So hopefully not that, but um, that'll be awesome. So yeah, take a seat. Whoa, where's Chip going? Getting a nice Bible probably. Shoot. Look at where. <laughs> He makes Bibles. What, I don't know what that even means, you make Bibles. I guess you cover them. and Yeah, if you have a moment, ask Chip about that Bible specifically. He'd tell you where the leather came from, what the paper, where it was printed, how it's like, I don't know. Do the things you know now are, are a little crazy? Yeah, but uh, you guys look good up there. Okay, thanks for submitting questions. And if in the middle of doing this, you're like, I have another question. I mean, feel free to raise your hand. I may or may not call on you, but that's fine. Um, and then appreciate just some of the vulnerability and asking some questions about your own uh, calling, your own ministry, your, um, yeah, walk with the Lord. How do you lead people and different pieces? So we're going to just walk through some of these and let you guys answer some of them uh, and, and share some, some great things. So starting off, um, Aaron, you got the mic, so you can. Um, okay had a question uh, that said, what is the biblical base for, quote, calling and the way that we use it in church today? And I feel like we use that word a lot. What is, I'm called, or like, answer your calling. Um, yeah, how do we, what's the biblical basis for that, or what do we, the word calling? Yeah, um, so I'll start by saying I think the word calling is something that is overused in, in the church. I think it's pretty clear. In, in Scripture, we, we do see calling being applied, but it's in specific instances, specific circumstances. Abraham is called out of Ur to, to go into Canaan. We see um, Paul being called on the, the road to Damascus. There's these kind of special calling moments, um, but we never see it applied as every Christian has some 
calling. And the reason I think that's a, an important distinction to make um, is because I think sometimes the idea of calling, like I'm called to ministry, can have two negative effects. They're, they're kind of uh, mirrors of each other. So on the one hand, we go, you know, I, I, I really want to go into ministry, and, and I, I see that, that God's gifted me for this, but, um, but, I, but I've never really felt called to it. I've never had a, a calling to do it. And, and we think there's going to be some, you know, the skies parting, like there was for Paul on the road to Damascus. The skies part, and the, the light shines down, and, and God says, you will be my witness to the youth of your church, right? And that's, that's just not what is, is prescriptive in Scripture. On the other side, we have people who maybe don't really want to be in ministry, don't have any desire for it, don't have any gifting for it, but they go, but I, I'm called to this. Um, and so you have the exact kind of opposite problem. Whereas in Scripture, specifically thinking towards pastoral ministry, the language that's used is not primarily the language of calling. It's this in, in 1 Timothy 3. It says, and if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's pastor, he desires a noble task. So the words there are not calling, it's aspire and desire. Um, and he goes on to list the qualifications uh, for pastoral ministry there. So, so in, in terms of, of calling, specifically towards vocational or pastoral ministry, I would say if it's something you aspire to, if it's something you desire, and you fit those qualifications there in First Timothy and, and again in Titus, then... Uh, then it's something that, that you should pursue. Um, and That's good. So when I get a phone call from, like, Washington, D.C. on my phone, I shouldn't assume that that's a calling on my life that I'm, like, going to... Well, you know, dude, maybe Sometimes I'm like, dude, D.C. is calling. Uh, Corey, I, I think uh, we're looking for a speaker of house. Uh, okay, that's good. Corey, uh, like, as you started onward, I felt like, I don't know if you would use the word calling, but, like, what, what, I mean, you were even like, man, this is what God is stirring to do, but how do you, how do you see that word calling being used and, and, and yet... Your biblical basis for it or things. Yeah, I always think of the word calling like in the same way a lot of you ladies broke up with boyfriends in junior high, you know? Like God is just really calling me to do something else right now. <laughs> and so I think if we're not careful and language really, la like words really do matter, um, we, can, um, we can stay put and be inactive and ineffective for the kingdom because we don't feel called to something. Or a lot of harm can be done in the name of calling. And so there are universal callings that we all have. We have been called to make disciples. We have been called to share testimony. We have been called to baptize people. Um, and so for those of you who are struggling with calling, do I just feel called here? Well, if you woke up and you're there, then sure, I guess you've been called there. Um, does God call people elsewhere? Sure. I think I, it's always been helpful for me to think about calling in terms of invitation, right? Like, like God has invited my wife and I in this season of our lives to like shepherd young pastors. Um, I may use the word calling. And I think in my resignation a few years ago, I even said God has called us. I don't mean the clouds parted and, you know, God spoke to me and he didn't to anyone else. This is what I'm supposed to do. I just, I think we can weaponize it. Um, oh, what was that? It was called. It's cool. There's Welcome still to bees the up here. Yeah. Um, a lot of insects. Yeah, the, the point is don't overthink calling. You Yes, just assume this. You have been called. <laughs> You've been called to, to be right where you are, to, to do exactly what God has asked you to do, and it's really not complex. Um, it's really not difficult. Make disciples of all nations. Love people and love God. Um, 
the like specificity that comes with calling always makes itself clear. And in my life, I've only ever been able to tell where I have specifically been called to places when I look in the rear view mirror, not when I look out the windshield. So like God definitely called my family and I to work up here at Hume and be a part of this magnificent ministry for a season. I know that because I did it and now we're elsewhere. And so don't get hung up and don't over romanticize the word either. Um, a lot of harm can be done and a lot of confusion can be dealt out um, in the word calling. It's good. Uh, next question here um, was written down. Can you give me some insight into raising up others for roles in ministry that we currently occupy? Or how do you know when it's time to hand off or delegate, delegate ministry responsibilities or tasks? Um, and then it was followed up with how do we avoid being a lid on someone's calling or development? But ultimately, how do we raise up others for roles we currently have? I think, uh, Emily, maybe you want to start with that? Yeah, this is something that I've actually kind of been tasked with at our church as we're growing and planting new campuses. And um, the way I like to describe it is there's just this really big gap between people who are doing it like we're in the season we're leading on stage or we're leading ministries and then like either like lay persons who want to move up or like young leaders and I'm sure there's probably a lot of you uh, this would be helpful to even think of a lot of you in this room that feel called to maybe do other things moving forward um Look at me using the word calling. I should just leave. Just kidding. Um, who feel like that might be part of what God is doing in your life in the future? Um, it's helpful to think through like, oh, who who is doing that for you? That will help you think through how you do it for others. Um, but I would say like so much of it for me is following the example of Jesus, which was all about proximity. And like they just got to see him do it. And I think sometimes... Because we live in a world of, like, conferences and seminars, and those are all really helpful. But until people can get their hands dirty and actually, like, start to, to do the thing, they're not really going to be able to internalize it. And so for me, I've started to just, like, ask young worship leaders, hey, do you just want to come with me to this thing? And then, like, we'll finish this. Or, like, hey, let's go visit a couple churches. And then we'll walk out and be like, what would you think about it? When you think about your philosophy of ministry, like, what would you say, like, I loved that? Or that was really hard for me to just like have some conversations so they can start to think for themselves. Because the last thing that you want is to just make duplicates of you, but they don't actually know why they believe it or why they want to do it that way. So I would say like proximity is the really, really big one. And then the other part is you have to be willing to take risk. And I think that's the scary part. I know I'm in a season at my church where I'm, I'm being told like raise up people to replace you. But then at the same time, it's like, oh, wait, they're not good enough yet. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, I don't know. So you have to have one conversation with yourself of like, am I willing for something to not be as excellent or great as it could be for the sake of discipleship? And I think that idea of like, for me, it's like a successful service, let's say. To me, it could be, I'll just talk in terms of music because that's the world I'm in. Musically, it could not be as successful as if I hired in, you know, a bunch of professional musicians, but it was extremely successful in the grand scheme of the kingdom because people were using their gifts and being developed. And so I think we have to rethink our idea of success and be willing to take risks. Um, now, we don't want to be, like, foolish about it. Like, you don't want to put people on a platform that aren't ready for it or this person just showed up and you're like, sure, run a small group. I don't know anything about you. Um, we definitely want to equip our people and be wise, but we have to be really willing to um, to take risk. 
No, that's good. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys feel like you're in a spot where, uh, man, if I did it, it would just be way better. <laughs> And, and then, but you're not letting others raise, you know, raising people up. And I think that's, that is a, an important part. How do you do that? And I think one of the questions asked there, and Chip, I don't know if you're going to say something, but like, how do you know, like, when it's time to hand off or delegate some of the things, and maybe it's things you are responsible for, but how do you, how do you bring people into leading them and stepping up? Yeah, part of that, I would say in the short term, it's always easier to do it yourself. Um, it's always going to be easier. I know I can do it. I can do it quickly. I can do it better. Um, but that's, but that's not what the work of ministry is, right? We're, we're called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're called to raise up young leaders, people to, to do this. So that, that is part of your job. And so if you're, if you're just doing it yourself, you're not actually doing your job. Um, and, and so, yeah, we need to be raising people up. In terms of how do we not set a, a limit on someone, I, I think we do that by realizing that investment in people is investment in the kingdom and not in your church or your youth group or your ministry primarily. So be willing to let people go. Um, be willing to raise people up, put a ton of time and investment and effort and blood, sweat, and tears into developing young leaders just to get them to a point where they're incredible and now you send them off and someone else profits from all of that that work that you did raising them up to that point because that's, that's a kingdom mindset. And if you're going to keep someone kind of un- like – you train someone up to replace you, and then you don't leave, well, then all you're doing is, is keeping someone. You're putting a limit on them. If you're not going to leave, you got to send them to somewhere where they can do your job, right? Um, yeah, so be willing to let people go. Yeah, and if you want to practice training people and sending them off, come work at a camp. I mean, I tell you what, you like train people every season and then send them off and send them to you guys and go work. Um, I, I think on that, um, like, how do you know, like, when it's time, one of the questions was, when it's time to transition out of a ministry role into another, or maybe, like, in life in general, how, do you, how have you guys seen, and when you know it's time to, like, transition out from one role to another, one ministry to another, or from ministry to not ministry? I don't know. Um, or going back to something else, sorry. Three things I look for when it comes to delegation in ministry. First is character. Second is emotional intelligence. Third is competency. So character matters. Character needs to be the foundation that all of our careers are built upon. Uh, influence is not a substantial um, ground for us, okay? Second, emotional, emotional intelligence. We're talking things like self-awareness, um, how to listen, how to ask questions. Um, those all speak to someone who really has the EQ to work well with people, to put others first. And then the third thing is competency. The cool thing is, Competency can be taught to varying degrees, um, but I think sometimes um, we get really excited about someone who's gifted and will overlook those other two areas. Um, Katie has a good word on how uh, on how to know when it's time to leave. We'll answer Jeff's question. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> oh, I was. Mm. Um, oh, yes. Thank you, Corey. I think it's just an experience thing. Um, I'm sure that there could be a million things you can say about knowing when it's time to leave. Um, I think because we've been in ministry so long and we have had to leave um, just ministries, whether we wanted to or not in different seasons, um, we really define one. I think it's, you need to define like how you find that information out. Is it how you feel is going to tell you when you're ready to leave? Is it 
you know, you're being pushed out and you're like, I guess this is a sign. For Corey and I, it's like, no, we need to hear from God. We could feel this way. We could be doing all of these things and, and really not sure if we still fit here. But we're really not pulling the trigger on leaving until we know from God that we're done. And, <coughs> excuse me, I think that's a, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a hard thing because God can let you know in a million different ways. Um, but the good thing that we've experienced that I know he would do with you as well is he's never going to hide it from you. Like if your time is done at a ministry, he's, he's not going to like hide it under a rock and you got to go find it. Um, he cares so much about you and what you do um, that he will let you know that in like the most merciful, grace-filled way, and he actually, then you don't have to go figure out how you're going to do that. He'll do it for you and kind of sets that path. Um, I wish we would have known that earlier in our time of ministry. I think, too, this is goes back to something Corey talked about, yeah, last night, when the whole idea of practicing the presence of God. I just think about, like, moving on from a ministry is, like, one of those, like, big decisions you will make like top tier, it impacts a lot of people. So then the question is like, are you practicing the presence of God in like the really small decisions? So that when you come to the big one, you're like, I know exactly what God's voice sounds like. I know what that peace feels like because he told me to go, I don't know, pray for someone. And I did it and I saw how faithful he was in it. And so I, I know what that feels like. I feel like all the time when I'm having conversations with young leaders, I kind of have to look at them and be like, hey, you know what the voice of God sounds like. Like, don't start second guessing it now. <laughs> you know, you've been following him this whole time. So it's like practicing that presence so that you can know like, oh, God speaks me through his word. And I know what that peace feels like when I read something. And I'm like, this is from God. Sweet. Uh, on the like same kind of vein there, a question was asked, like what advice would you guys have for still doing effective ministry while you're also in the process of searching for a new church to work at. Nobody's doing that here, of course, but hypothetically asking for a friend. Um, as many of you know, you're like, I'm in the middle of serving and yet I'm looking, or whether your church knows or doesn't know, how do you continue, yeah, faithfulness and effectiveness while <laughs> looking for another job? Yeah, you do it. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't have one foot in, one foot out. Um, there's like tons of times in Scripture you have you have lukewarm, you have passed through the door. There's, there's, a lot of like, there's a lot of language in the Bible of, of not being double-minded. Um, so I, I would kind of like use the calling language. You know you're called to it if you're doing it today. <laughs> like we don't have to wonder. Um, if you have made the decision to leave, it's been made clear to you. You know, you've, you've had um, some wise counsel speak into that, affirm that decision. But, you know, you're wrapping up your time. You want to see your students through the school year or whatever. Uh, you do it just as effective as you would as if it was your first day. I think that's what honors God and honors the people that you're serving. I think honor is a big one. And um, like Aaron was saying, being kingdom-minded. Like even though you know you're done um, at a certain church or organization, to be kingdom-minded means you're still honoring your pastoral position of pastoring those people. And you might even still pastor those people when you have moved on. Um, but being kingdom-minded, I think, is really helpful, especially if there's hurt in there 
um, and confusion or you've announced it, but it hasn't been announced yet. There's all these different really tricky things that can happen in the midst of that. And I think staying kingdom minded is just really um, helpful and will kind of pick apart um, some of the things that maybe your flesh would like to do or have conversations with or whatever and, and remembering that what you're leaving behind is still kingdom-minded, is still part of God's body, and what you're going to is as well. Sweet. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, Chipper there with your uh, sweet uh, New Zealand um, llama skinned, backed by um, maybe a Australian goat skin. Bible question says, I want to study the Old Testament, but I don't know where to start. First, get a chip Bible. Well, first, and then you get a Bible bound in battle assay, Carlo, waxy Italian goat skin. Okay. Um, uh, no. what, kind of, what kind of paper is in that? Watch That's this. 28 GSM endopaque paper printed and bound by Royal Young Blood of the Netherlands, typeset by 2K Denmark. And, all right. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, Old Testament. Humility is important. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk about humility. I can, I can take care of that, Katie. I can, I can help. I can I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Um, He'll take care of you. Yeah. As far as how, how do we get into <laughs> Is that the index or is that all of Genesis that just fell out? <laughs> so well, <Let's laughs> we start with Genesis. Start with, start with Genesis. Just Katie will hand you a page at a time. <laughs> and um, No, I, I, as far as reading the Old, the old Testament, it, it's hard, right? It's, it's hard and it takes discipline. Um, and so... Uh, there, there aren't really shortcuts. There are ways to, to, that can help us get through it. Sometimes it's easier to read through an epistle as we see uh, quickly and easily these applicable things that we can take and we, we can plug them straight into our life. And uh, the Old Testament's hard because it's narrative, it's law, it's, it's this ceremonial language. We get into prophecy and I'm like, what, what is going on here? One of the most helpful things um, that I've seen, actually I was talking about this with my, my wife last night. Uh, she has a, a love for scripture um, like one, one of the, the greatest hearts for God's word of anyone that I know, my, my wife has, and, um, and you see it in her love of the Old Testament specifically, and it's so cool. She'll, she gets excited when she like reads Leviticus, and she's the only person in the world who does that. Um, but, uh, but as we were talking about this, she said something that's been super helpful for her is to, to read a chronological plan through the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is not strictly chronological. It's, it's grouped into, you know, you've got the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. You get into um, kind of the, the histories. Then you get into the, the, pro the prophetic books, the poetry books, things like that. Um, but it's really helpful to read it chronologically because what you'll have is like the, the Psalms will be interspersed into the story of David's life, right? And so you'll see kind of how these Psalms are, are coming out through what David is experiencing, through what he's going through. Or, or you'll, you'll see as you're reading through the histories and, and the period of, you know, Babylonian exile, you'll see the, the prophecies um, which are normally in these weird named books at the end that you've never cracked open. You'll see those placed alongside the story of the history of what's happening in Israel at that time. And all of a sudden, those prophecies that seemed impossible to understand before, they make a lot of sense and they become very clear. And so I would highly recommend for the Old Testament especially uh, doing a chronological reading. You can, there, I'm, there are plans in the Bible app. You can buy a chronological Bible that'll, that'll put it in that order for you. The order is not God ordained, only, only the words are, right? Um, and even that, the translation isn't. But um, so 
so I would, I would encourage a chronological reading, and especially with Old Testament narrative passages, things where the meaning is found more in kind of the broad sweeps of the story rather than in, um, you know, the, the specific sentences. Now, the sentences are, sentences are important. The words are important. Don't hear me saying they're not. But in narrative, you get meaning in these kind of broad strokes. Um, I'd say chronological, and don't be afraid to listen to it. Um, it, it. Sometimes we can back out and see that big picture and those big narrative movements more easily when we're listening um, rather than reading, or even what I like to do is to listen and read at the same time because it helps focus my mind on, on what I'm going through. But yeah, Good. Anybody else? Old Testament? Ditto. Just read it. Just read. Genesis all I mean, the way that's through. True. Like, that's why I said it takes discipline. Like, none of this is going to make it easy. Um, <laughs> I guess. They want the pill. That's the just other like thing I would say single, is boom. pray that God would give you a hunger for his word. Yeah. Um, pray that God would grow in you a hunger for his word and that you would, that you would want to read it. Yeah. And God can give you that desire, but just ask for that. And surround you with people that have that hunger. Like you're talking about your wife. I think if you have friends, neighbors, family, spouse, children, who, who in your life do you see a hunger for God's word that is also challenging and encouraging you? I think is good. Um, next question. How do you inspire evangelism in your homeschool students? Katie! I'll take it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Only because I have homeschooled kids. Um, my first thought was that's the parent's job. Uh, but sometimes you have homeschooled kids who the parents aren't necessarily doing that. Um, I think of Matthew 28, like getting them super excited. Like Corey was even talking about discipleship um, last night, like not just sharing the good news with those students, but then actually getting them excited about now you are actually called to, to go and share that. What does that look like? Um, I think with my own kids, uh, it's, it's a little bit hard when they're, you're not their parent. There's only so much that you can do. Um, but I think just encouraging them with the heart behind it of like, this is why we evangelize. I can't control, you know, where your parents want you to be able to go or if you can hang out with your neighbors or your neighborhood or whatever it might be. But you can give them a heart for it and the reason why we're called to do that. Um, and I think a lot of times because it's scary and they're young, um, sometimes we miss that. Uh, when we're teaching young people of like evangelism is a really incredible seed to be planting in your kids of like you just never know like you never know and God even in God's word is like he's going to use you like no matter how young you are right um, but my advice would just be plant those seeds of why 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 do they need to have evangelism as part of their just walk with the Lord um, and because if you're not the parent, you can't quite always give them that experience, but you can give them a passion for it. Yeah, I can always talk. Um, <laughs> I, d I just think that there's like this really flawed thinking, um, among our, our church leaders today that there's evangelism and that there's discipleship. Evangelism is a tool for discipleship. Evangelism is a fruit of discipleship. And so, like the simple answer would be disciple those students, like help them to fall in love with Jesus and following him. And it will become natural for them to want to talk about 
this person that means so much to them in their lives that has taken away their sin, given them an eternal hope and purpose, and, um, and, and secured their eternity. So disciple them. Yeah, that's great. I think, Emily, I was thinking of the word proximity you used. And for my own kids, we live in a, a very interesting community here. Not a lot of evangelism that they get in the day-to-day in their school and in, their, in our neighborhood. But some of the students that we have a charter school up here, some of the kids that come here, their parents actually work for the National Park or the National Forest and don't know the Lord. So they actually do have a little bit of an opportunity. But we try to, even as a family, they're not homeschooled necessarily, but it feels like a very interesting. Uh, they're interesting. Um, but that we bring them in and we bring people in in a discipleship way into our home and expose our kids in the proximity of come alongside as we're doing this with uh, young adults, with older people, with young children. Like, do you see us doing this? And then and, and even finding other ways in your youth group to do that where you're providing opportunities for them to come alongside, But whether it's events or other things, but to disciple. I think it's a really good word. Um, here's one that is, 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 is very... Uh, I, I've talked to a number of people about it, and it's it's raw, it's real. Um, I think you know, a number of you maybe in this room serving in youth ministry, but also those that you are serving in your churches. How do I effectively do youth ministry or ministry in general when I am single? And the church world seems to put so much pressure on being married. How can I be enough when it feels like the church culture says that I'm not when I'm not married? Thoughts. Team. I, we probably all have some thoughts on this, but I'll just kick us off. I think when we read this question um, last night, I think it's important to note, like, every church is different. I think there's, you, the person asking this, they could be in a church of all young families. Every small group is young families. Every social event is about what kids want to do, you know? And you don't have people who are actively seeking out a very small percentage of single people in their church because that's the demographic. So to that person, um, that that is really, really difficult when every room that you walk into communicates a message to you that you haven't arrived yet. And I've had to have conversations with really good friends of mine who are just heartbroken. They love their church. They want to be there, but they feel like there isn't a place for them. I think that's a bigger conversation that you have with older leadership of like, I want to be here, and I want to feel like a part of what's happening in this church, but I feel like there hasn't been a place created for me. Now, on the other hand, there's like the overarching idea that like in Christian culture, we, um, we idolize marriage. We make it like this arrival point. Um, we were talking a little bit before this and, you know, just saying like Jesus Christ himself and then the, the greatest communicator of the New Testament was single, like all throughout, all throughout the New Testament. We see that as a gift um, I have so many people popping out of my mind right now. I'm, I'm going to defer to someone as I think a little bit more. I just want to say it is really hard. And a, a row full of married people up here trying to tell you how you shouldn't have that, you shouldn't worry about it, is like not probably what you want to hear. But we do want to direct you towards some truth um, because God does see you and does want to use you. And you're not um, limited, if anything. You actually have more opportunity because of the fact that you aren't married with kids in the season that you're in. <laughs> yeah, last time I wasn't married, I was in high school, but that's a, um, that's a different story. Um, 
uh, no, to, to that I would say, I think you made a great point. It, it's, I think singleness is not limiting because scripture says that it's not. Um, in fact, Paul makes a pretty clear call. Like you should remain as you are. If you're single, re- remain single. Why? Because you can devote yourself to the work of ministry. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get married, but that shouldn't be your primary purpose, your primary goal, because in singleness, you have the ability to, um, to jump into the service of God and of his church in, in a way that, that married people simply don't, that people with kids simply don't. Um, and so I think you can, you can make good kingdom use of that season. Um, that being said, uh, I totally get that, you know, people look down on you uh, if, if you're single. They, uh, especially if you're young and single, um, there's kind of this idea that you, that you don't have, you know, life experience. You don't, and to an extent, that's true, right? Like if you're, if you're a 20-year-old single guy or, or single girl, y- you don't have a, a ton of, of experience. Um, but as we minister, we're not ministering on the basis of our experience, on the basis of our opinions. It, it, it's, on, it's on the basis and the authority of God's word. Right, so going back even to Paul's advice to Timothy, don't don't let them look down on you because of your youth, but do what set an example. Um, and so, so with that, with singleness, I think it does free you up if you're willing to be freed up. And in this question, I think there's a lot of a fear of man. How am I supposed to do this when people don't see me the way I want to be seen? Um, realize that you're not doing it for people; you're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it on your own authority or your own experience. You're doing it on the authority of God's word. And what it says, and when, when you're able to do that, I think you can actually do incredible things for the kingdom as a single person that um, your hands would be tied on if you were married. Good. No, um, I, Emily, I think to your point, like, the reality is church culture isn't always doing it right. And, and so, and it is hard when th- things are being not done well, and, um, but also just you asking the Lord, what, what is going on in your mind? I think at any stage of life, it doesn't have to be about singleness and marriage, but like, I wish I had this. Like, where is that in your heart in general? I wish I had this in my life. And if that becomes a primary driver and focus, that the Satan will use that to distract you from what God is wanting you to do. And so, is it consuming you? And I think that's where you need to have that wrestle with the Lord. Um, maybe to Last one of the last ones here, real easy one. <laughs> How do I better understand or comprehend the Trinity? <laughs> That's a, just a good one to just conclude our time on. That chip was so excited to just unpack for you guys at three o'clock. Um, just kidding. Um, but yeah, like, like how, how is that something like, like how do you even approach that? Like the idea of the Trinity um, in, in teaching it to your youth and young people, like what are some just um, initial thoughts on that? chipper. You got that big Bible. Let's go, baby. Or like the question, I think you read this one, like, is it heretical to deny the modern articulation of it, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? I'm not exactly sure what they were going with on that, but. Uh, the modern articulation is mo- not modern. It's the Athanasian articulation. Go. It goes back to uh, the fifth century. So it's 1,600 years old. That's not modern by my standards. But, um, and so, <laughs> but, but in, in terms of of how do you understand the Trinity? You start by reading the Old Testament um, and the New Testament and God's Word, because that's where the Trinity, that's where the Trinity comes from. That's where we we have the, so there's the 66 knowledge. Books. Of it. There's 66 books. No, I 
Uh, honestly, it, like, in, in the question, I'd have to ask more questions. Like, so what, what does it, how, can, how do I understand the Trinity more? Well, what's your understanding of the Trinity right now? Um, if you, are, are you someone, have you spent time studying these things and digging into these things? Have you, like, this is silly, but read books? Like, how do I understand? Well, read God's word first and foremost, but find good books. And they're good books at all levels on this kind of thing, right? If we want to dig deeper into theology, they're good popular level, like, you know, high school level books that, that are, are excellently done. They're good, you know, big brain seminary whatever books that if you want to be pretentious and use big words, you can read those too. Um, I, there's a book by Fred Sanders at, uh, he's actually, I think he's still at Talbot, um, but it's called The Deep Things of God, excellent book on the Trinity, kind of talking through the doctrine of the Trinity and then also the application of that doctrine to the life of the believer and the, the life of the church. I, I would highly recommend that book. It's really dense, but it's really good. Um, if, if you're someone who like, hey, I'm really just kind of digging into this for the first time, uh, there's all kinds of free resources out there. I remember before I went to seminary, um, one of the first things I did is I looked up Eric Tonis's, uh Theology 101. This is class that he teaches undergrad at Biola. And, I mean, they were 10 years ago, whenever that was. They, they had them all online. They probably still do. Um, go find those. Seek those out. And, and do some work. Spend some time studying and reading and learning. Um, because if you're here, then you're a leader. If you're here, then then you are tasked with discipling young people. And, guys, you can't pass on a truth that you don't know. Uh, so you need to spend some time and put in some work. I would encourage you, if you, if you have not done this and you're looking at, you know, a, a career in ministry, vocational ministry, go to seminary. Is it required? No. Is it good? Yes. And if it seems like too much work or, or too hard in order to, to spend, you know, three years getting an MDiv, uh, if that seems like too much work in order to, to go into ministry, then you're not viewing ministry highly enough. Um, and so uh, maybe it's a, a trite answer, but how do you understand the Trinity better? You, you read more, you study, uh, you find good resources because they are flowing freely. Um, there's a lot of good that comes with the Internet along with all the bad. Sweet. Uh, any just final thoughts and encouragements you guys want to give this crew of youth workers and leaders while you're up on here? Hmm. She's like, pass it on, pass it on. I, I'm the person that doesn't want to just make something up. So I think um, be... No, stop being encouraged. Thank you for, like, really being in the trenches. It's like I'm starting to be in more conversations with, like, higher-level leadership at my church and, you know, the way they talk about the next generation. It's, like, pretty distant because there is just an age gap naturally and because there, there's no, like, relationship there. And then I just think about the youth leaders that, like, literally every week are chasing it down and doing the hard work and having hard conversations and having students that you've poured into who just decide, hey, next semester I'd rather party, you know. Just thank you. Um, and I just, I pray that you would know that your work is not in vain and that God really is going to use it and you may never see it. 
Um, but that's like the way the kingdom works. You know, we sow and then people come later and harvest. And yeah, just thank you for what you do. That was so good. <laughs> um, I think the first thing that came to my mind, I have a lot of things, but just one of them is you don't have to have it all figured out. And the reality is you never will. And whoever's telling you that doesn't either. Um, and so hopefully maybe that will just allow you this weekend to just like leave a little lighter. Whatever you don't have figured out, God already does. And he's just waiting to for you to listen to him. So if you feel that pressure, like I got to figure this out. I got to figure out the Trinity. I got to figure out how to disciple my students. God already has a plan for that. Um, and so we'll just like take all that weight off your shoulders for you. So. I'm sure they could answer a lot better than I could, but my first thought as you were talking is, you know, in Matthew 28, when he sends us out as go in power, like, like you have that in you. And I think the other thing that I was going to say, and then I'm going to hand it to this guy, is um, your job is just to deliver the information. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the work. You know, so like you deliver if it's bad, if you said something on accident, you're like, oh, gosh, that was terrible. Like, throw a prayer out there. Holy Spirit, please just use that. Like, do something. Because he already knew. He already knew that he was asking a bunch of imperfect people to deliver who he was and to love people and to care for the orphans and widows and to do this work. He knew. And so I think the confidence of Matthew 28, but then also knowing, like, he knew you weren't going to do it perfectly, and you'll get 10 years down the road and be like, I can't believe I did it that way. Like, man, I'm, I hope the Holy Spirit was going before me because I'm, like, kind of embarrassed. Um, I think that's the journey, too. I don't think that God's embarrassed by that. To that question, I, I think, like, there's uh, nothing wrong with getting up the next week and going, you know what? I, I misspoke. Uh, you know, I was actually heretical. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm being serious. I, I taught you something that is actually not in line with God's word, and so I want to I wanna redact that, and I want to actually give you truth. And thank you to so-and-so who pointed it out. Oh, my God, how different would church culture be today if, as leaders, we owned that we were wrong? Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with The Basement, the podcast The Basement. Uh, Tim, what's his last name? Yeah, so he had that whole viral clip of calling Jesus a stripper. 
Are you guys familiar with this hole? So it, it was wild, right? It was wild. Um, you know, and he's like quoting T-Pain. And it was like, okay, I get it. I actually think the dude has like a solid teaching gift. And I, I remember watching his response to that because people were like how appalled by it. I've, I feel like rightfully so. But he doubled down, you know. And I just go, ah, why not just go, hey, I was, you know, they started playing, you know, the pad came on and I got a little excited and I'd just been listening to T-Pain on the way in, you know, and I said it and it was wrong. Like, I just think as, as communicators, as preachers, as people who are public facing, like there, there is a lot of power in your words and you should not take that lightly. You really should feel the weight of it, but you're not perfect. God is. And so you should also feel the freedom to apologize and say, My, I was wrong. Um, because that's going to have as much of an impact on the spiritual developmental process of the people you're leading as any powerful, tweetable line that's in a sermon. Owning your mistakes, I think, has a ton of power, too. Yeah. yeah. Chipper, final thought before 3 p.m. Yeah, final thought. Um, yeah, so I would just say, especially for those of you who are in vocational ministry, who, who are doing this, this is where your paycheck comes from, um, I feel like sometimes those of us in ministry, we can get in this very like, oh man, pastoring's just so hard. It's hard on my family, and it's just that just beats you down. And and, and sometimes that's true, but also like, never lose sight of the incredible joy that it is to to share God's word with students, and especially for those of you who get to do that for a living. Like, what an incredible blessing! I, w- I always think of one time when I was working in wagon train. It was, it was gospel night, so I knew that evening I was going to get up and I was going to share the gospel to these, you know, 200 sixth grade kids. And, uh, and I was running around in a banana costume, hitting kids with a sock. And I was like, this is literally my job right now. <laughs> like, guys, that's an incredible, that's an incredible blessing. You're not shoveling coal, all right? Um, and even that can be done to the glory of God. But, but like, just... Don't let the hard things make you lose sight of the incredible deep joys of ministry and the incredible blessing that it is to be able to be called by God to proclaim his gospel uh, to his people. What, what a blessing that is. So don't lose sight of the, of the good um, just because there's difficulty in it. Chipper, would you pray for us? And, and then I'll have some announcements to get us out of here. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this group of youth pastors of youth workers um, who, who came up here just to have a, a time of retreat. I thank you for this, this panel, these men and women who love you and love your church and, and love um, these shepherds. Uh, God, I just pray that for all of us, that our ministry would be glorifying to you. God, that we would honor you with our words, with our actions. Um, and God, that we would always keep in sight the incredible blessing that it is uh, to be able to point others towards you to be able to share the glorious, wonderful, magnificent truth of the gospel with the next generation, um, to raise them up, to disciple them, to laugh with them, to cry with them, to rejoice with them. Um, Ultimately, God, I pray that we all do it for your glory and for the greatness of your name. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.